let's find our place and stand together as we start out with a great anthem, emphasizing our amazing, faithful God. Behold our God. Let's sing this out together. joining us for worship today at First Baptist Church of Wixom. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. 
Mark your calendar now to be in town for the FBC Wixom 185th Anniversary Homecoming Weekend on June 10th and 11th. We are planning several events to celebrate God's goodness on our church for nearly 200 years. To start the weekend, we will have a kids' fun run and an adult 5K race on Saturday mornings. You can sign up for these races by visiting the church website or by scanning the QR code on the screen. The kids' fun run begins at 8.30 a.m. and the 5K will start at 9 a.m. We will also have a bouncy house and Kona shaved ice so you can enjoy the festivities as a family. On Saturday evening, there will be a homecoming cookout with outdoor games at 5 p.m. and a musical concert with the Merrills at 7 p.m. And on Sunday, we will have a great time of worship at 10 a.m. with evangelist Aaron Coffey. There will be no Sunday school or community groups that day. Don't miss this incredible weekend of celebration. We are planning a special member meeting for after AM worship next Sunday, June 4th, to discuss the potential construction contract for the new bus facility. Please plan to join us for this important meeting. Men and teen boys are encouraged to gather for prayer on Saturday, June 3rd. They will meet at the backyard Coney Island in Wixom at 8 a.m. and back here in the link for prayer around 845. Groundwork for the patio project around the link is scheduled to begin this Friday, June 2nd. We could use plenty of help in the removal and lifting of some heavy things. Weather permitting, work will begin on Friday from noon to 8 p.m. and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Community groups continue tonight at 6 p.m. If you are not yet connected with a Sunday p.m. community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet in homes nearly every Sunday night at 6 p.m. In just a few minutes, we'll be dismissing children four years to the third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you'd like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you'd like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you. I'm glad that you've chosen to join us this morning for worship. I want to mention just a couple of things. You heard an announcement on the video about special member meeting next Sunday. There's information, helpful information about that project out in the link on the whiteboard. If you missed that when you came in, I encourage you to go check it out after we dismiss today. And uh, as we mentioned last Sunday morning, ideally connect with one of the deacons and uh, try to get questions answered if we can before next Sunday morning. And if you could stop by there uh, after worship today, I think that would be helpful. I want to remind you this morning of something that is a conversation we have ongoing all of the time, and we're teaching on this in our E3 Sunday School class all of the time, but you might miss it, and we want to make sure nobody misses this, and that is that we hope and want everybody in the church to be involved in 
what we call discipleship. One-on-one meetings for the intentional purpose of promoting Jesus and his kingdom in one another. Regular meetings. And you see this happening. If you, if you pay attention when you walk in on Sunday mornings, you see people sitting at the table with their Bibles open and maybe a book that they're studying meeting together. If you're here on Wednesday evenings, you see this almost every Wednesday evening, a few groups meeting um, before and after and during the Bible study on Wednesday evening. These meetings also happen throughout the week. In the link, primarily, people will meet in the link and do their Bible studies together. They also happen in homes. They happen in restaurants, over coffee, etc. Many of our people are meeting regularly, maybe weekly, maybe every other week, for that very specific purpose of just promoting Jesus and his priorities in one another's lives. We talk about it quite a bit, but we don't always talk about details. So I just want to mention this morning that there are some resources out in the link cabinet that you should check out sometime if you haven't already. Let me show you a couple of them briefly this morning. First of all, there's this little uh, foldable booklet that we call the Discipleship Roadmap, and it, it gives kind of a an ideal scenario for discipleship, and it starts all the way at the on the left side with what we call stage zero, the exchange. And you've heard us talk about the exchange. This is a four-week Bible study that highlights the character of God and what it means in the context of the gospel. Like, what are we supposed to do in response to what God has done through Jesus Christ on the cross? And this is a really great Bible study. It does the difficult part of evangelism for you. This is intended to give to somebody who maybe is a brand new believer or you're not sure if they're a believer. Maybe they think they are. There's just not a lot of fruit there. And they'd be willing to do a Bible study with you. This is a perfect Bible study for that scenario. It takes four weeks. It's very simple and very, very fruitful. There's also a couple other resources in the Foundation series or the Grace series. This is the Foundations book. And this is the book called The Walk. This is basically books one and two. And if you did the exchange and the foundations and the walk, and you did that every week or so, it would take about a year of meetings to get through. And I promise you it would help you. In fact, I've talked to many of our people who are the leaders. They've been saved for years. And they've done these books with a new follower of Jesus. And they said, my faith has been so much strengthened by going through these things. I'm going through um, one of these books, The Walk, with one of my discipleship followers right now. I've gone through both of them four or five times. They're just incredibly helpful in starting biblical conversations. So this roadmap kind of walks through that. The Exchange, Foundations, The Walk, Simply Blessed, and a bunch of other resources. One of the things the leadership team takes very seriously is vetting resources. Like we, we read these books, we talk about them, we discuss them in our meetings, and then we take a few of the books that we read, maybe about 10% of the books that we read, and we add them to our discipleship library because we think they're very important. A brand new book called Habits of Grace was just added over the last couple of weeks to our discipleship library, and we're trying to constantly do this. Ideally, we'd like to see everybody in the church following someone, leading someone, and looking for someone to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the ideal scenario where the leadership team's trying to set that example. We're following, we're leading, we're trying to look for someone that's a new disciple of Jesus. We'd like you to get in on it if you're willing, and we think it will be a help to your spiritual health. On that subject, 
We are looking for a few leaders. So some of you have led in discipleship and you're not right now, or you've been waiting for an opportunity to lead in discipleship. We are looking for a few leaders, people in our church who said, I want somebody to be my spiritual mentor, and they're just waiting to be matched up. If you're willing to lead, would you please see Johnny? Johnny, would you wave at us? He's sitting right back there, so right after the service, go right to him and let him know, hey, I'm willing to lead. More specifically, we're looking for a couple of leaders to lead the exchange. This is a unique commitment because this is just four weeks, and it's an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who's seeking So please, if you're willing to lead an exchange Bible study, please see Johnny. Let him know what your availability is, and we will take care of getting you matched up. Next Sunday, after the morning worship time, there's going to be a meeting in the cafe, which includes lunch, and that is for anyone interested in being a part of the welcome team. When you come in on Sunday mornings, you see folks greeting you at the door and providing coffee at the coffee table. Those people are welcome team members typically. And we need more volunteers for that. If you're interested or willing to consider it, come to lunch in the cafe next Sunday uh, afternoon, and we'll try to get your questions answered. If you have any questions about that, Johnny's the guy to see on that as well. So please let him know today if you have questions. That lunch and meeting is next Sunday. Then briefly, uh, uh, Brian Wright gave me a quick report from Operation Christmas Child. Remember, we do this every year in October in the first part of November collecting shoeboxes to go out around the world to young children along with a gospel message. And this is just a report that many of our boxes, the majority went to Tanzania, the Philippines, Nigeria, Guatemala, and then one hard-to-reach area that they don't disclose the location, but six different areas of the world that received shoeboxes from First Baptist Church of Wixom. So that's pretty cool, and the gospel went out with all of those. We're so glad that you're here today. Looking forward to a great time of worship this morning. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together as we begin. Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to gather on this beautiful day with the rest of the body here in Wixom to lift up Jesus. And you've told us in your word that this is one of the purposes of the church, one of the chief purposes of the church and its leaders is to help us gather together to lift up our head, Jesus, that we might see him better and that the world around us might see him better. And so today as we sing these songs, Lord, would you unite our heart with yours and would you prepare us to hear your truth and would you give us a a courage and a willingness to obey your word. May you be glorified in our church today and Lord, we do ask that you would be with those that are away that you give safety to them, and that you'll encourage them and bless them today. We do thank you for our nation and this weekend that is set aside to remember those that have given their lives for our freedom. As we enjoy that freedom today, help us to have hearts full of gratitude. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So thankful as we think through God being a just judge this morning. We're going to sing a song called Wonderful Merciful Savior. When we think about the living, the exchange, the fact that he is a just God. And as we think through that, I'm so thankful that he offers his grace and his mercy. Because even though you and I are all condemned, he gives us grace, mercy, and forgiveness through what Christ has done for us. Let's stand together and worship him, our wonderful, merciful Savior. Wonderful, merciful. 
before God's throne of grace because of what Christ has done for us. We're going to sing another song emphasizing that truth, just as I am. And it has an extra chorus coupled to it. And it talks about how we come before God. We come broken. We come wounded. We come all these different drastic ways, completely helpless, hopeless. And yet God always and again proves himself faithful, proves that he's a loving God and capable of taking a wrecked, useless life and using it in an amazing, glorious way. That's our God, amen. Let's sing this out. Just as I am, I come to
Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is your help and salvation. Come all who hear, now to His temple draw near. Join me in glad adoration. to the Lord above all things so wondrously reigning, sheltering you under his wings and so gently sustaining. Have you not seen all that is needful as been sent by his gracious ordaining? To the Lord who will prosper your work and defend you. Surely his goodness and mercy shall daily attend you. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do if with his love he befriends you. To the Lord, oh, let all that is in me adore Him. All that hath life and breath come now with praises before Him. Let the Amen sound from His people again. Gladly forever adore Him. Let the Amen Sound from his people again, gladly forever adore him. Amen. Thank you for that, Sam. I invite you to take your Bibles to Psalm 7, if you would, please. Psalm number 7. We've been enjoying studying a theology from Psalms over the last several months, asking the question, who is God or what is he like? And then secondly, what should I do in my response? How should I respond? By the way, this is such a great example of how we should be living our Christian life, right? Like learning more about who God is and in turn learning more about how I should live my life. And so today... We learn that God is our just judge. He is our just judge. I want you to notice, before we read Psalm 7, that this psalm has a unique heading. It says it was written concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. 
So you might ask the question, well, who's Cush the Benjamite? Like, I don't remember reading about him in the historical narratives of the Old Testament, and you won't. He's not there. So there's a couple theories about who this is. Some have suggested this might be King Saul. He was a Benjamite. His father's name was Kish. There's some similarities there. But David always speaks of King Saul respectfully. And so most would say that's unlikely that this is who this psalm is about. It's more likely that Cush was a follower of Saul who had infiltrated the company of David for a very specific purpose, for the purpose of sabotage. And that he was a David hater who was getting inside information from David and then secretly passing that information off to King Saul. The big question of the psalm, though, is this, and this is really important. If you understand this question, you'll really kind of get a a feeling for where David is going with his words in this psalm. The big question is this, will David exact vengeance on Cush the Benjamite, whoever that is? Will he exact vengeance or will he let God do it? Will he trust that God is the just judge? It's really tempting for us to want to exact vengeance. I was just talking to a friend a few weeks ago. He said, I got this thing in me and it just wants to get back at people, you know, that wronged me. It's just, and I keep beating it down. I keep forgetting that God is the one who is the just judge. That is not my job. So as we read Psalm 7, I want you to think about that question. Will I exact vengeance on those that wrong me or will I trust God to do what is right? Here's Psalm 7, starting in verse number 1. O Lord, my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all those that persecute me and deliver me. Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces, while there's none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy, let the enemy persecute my soul and take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger. Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. I just want to pause for just a second because right now David takes a little bit of a turn. So he's been describing kind of the situation and laying his cause before God. But now he gets to the theology. Now he gets to the character of God. And this is where we want to spend our time today, thinking about who God is, starting in verse number 8, the Lord. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let not the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. But establish the just, for the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet or sharpen his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief and brought forth falsehood. Again, he's talking about the enemy of David. He's made a pit and digged it. 
and has fallen into the ditch which he has made, his mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. And this morning as we go to prayer, I just want you to think with me for just a second. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the holiness of God. And remember, when we view the holiness of God, the response of humanity is to see that we're just normal. Right? The, the opposite of holy really isn't specifically unrighteous, although that's one of the reasons we're normal. But the opposite of holy is normal. God is set apart. God is different. God is other in his righteousness, in his purity. We are like every other human. We're sinful. That's normal. But when we view God as judge, the opposite of him being the just judge is that we are often incorrect. We're not right. He gets things right every single time. We get things right very few times. We, we almost never get it exactly right unless we go to the word of God and say, okay, these are the words of God. This is what we're going to do. We're tainted by our sin, and so we don't get it right. And so even as we come to the Lord in prayer, I think that's really important for us to think about. Like, I don't even pray right. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, in fact, says that I need the Holy Spirit to interpret my prayers because they're so dumb spiritually that the Holy Spirit has to take those prayers and take them before the throne. This is what Brad actually meant and should have said. Literally. And, and so as we think about God's justice... I want you to think about your incorrectness and my incorrectness. Our minds, so tainted by sin, can't get it right without God and without the Holy Spirit. And I feel that weight of responsibility this morning as we talk about God's justice because it can feel a little bit cavalier, like, I know who God is and I'm about to tell you. I don't. I don't understand His justice. I, I don't know what it's like to always be right because I'm wrong so often. You with me? So even as we pray, I think it's right for us to think of God as always getting it right and us so often getting it wrong. Would you pray with me and ask the Lord to help us get it right today? Help us to understand his word, his way. Pray, pray together with me this morning. Father, we just want to thank you for your love and again for the privilege of opening your word and having your word in our language that we might understand your truth. Lord, this morning we're fully aware that you get everything right every time. And in contrast to that, Lord, we get most things wrong. And so today we don't even know how to approach you other than to say because of the blood of Jesus, because of our Savior, we, we plead that as our, our ticket into your presence. And we ask that because of the promises of your word and because of the purity of your son, that you would hear us. And this morning we ask specifically, Lord, that you'll help us to get scripture right. We often judge incorrectly. We make wrong decisions. We think shallowly. Would you help us to think more deeply about who you are and how we should respond? Help us, Lord, today to remember that you stand in the position of our, you're, you're our judge. It's so easy for us to, like David, focus on judging other people and forget that you're going to judge us as well. 
Help us to live in light of that and glorify you with the way that we live. We submit ourselves to you and we thank you. Thank you for your truth. Teach us with it today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of those psalms that I think we have to be very careful with. You want, it's important to remember that David was under the law. You and I are under grace. David did not know the name of Jesus Christ. He knew that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever and would solve the sin problem and would solve the world's problems. But he didn't fully understand grace. David was also the anointed king of God's people. He was going to assume the throne of Israel. He was also a sinful human. And so as he prays, often when he prays, we need to kind of take, and and stick with me for just a second because I know this is scripture, but we need to take his prayer with a little bit of a grain of salt saying, okay, that's not me. I'm not in that exact situation. I, I am not the king of Israel. I I don't write inspired words. That's not me. But what he teaches us about God is absolutely correct for me. Does that make sense? Like his situation might be slightly different, but his God is the same God I serve. And so when when we worship using scripture as we ought, we should ask the question, okay, who is David's God? How does he describe him? And what can I learn in my life as an application from that truth? And that's why today I've asked you to really focus on verses 8 through 12, where we're, where we're going to think about who God is and what that means. Now, I don't know how much experience you have with judges. It might be comforting to know that I don't have a lot of experience with judges. I do have some. I, I remember one time I pled not guilty in a traffic viola- violation case because I had thought over the 72 hours or so that I had between the stopping and having a chat with an officer and going to court that I had a really good excuse, you know. And so I said, I'm not guilty, Your Honor. And here's, literally, here's what he said to me. Wrong answer. Go pay the cashier. Right? That was it. That was his job for the day for me. I was like, okay, you got me. So I went and paid the cashier. That, that's one of my limited exposures to a judge. Historically, judges have operated a little different than they do today. Today, judges' responsibilities are pretty limited. They keep order in the courtroom and basically speak the law on behalf of the jury or the people. But historically, judges did more than that. They often were the investigator, the decision maker, the executor. Remember like in the Old West kind of idea where we've got to wait for the judge to show up so that we can understand the law and then he can apply the law and then we can you know, execute or we can um, sentence this criminal or whatever. It was all dependent on him. Historically, this is more of how judges operated. And when David sees God as judge, this is kind of his thinking. It's sort of the idea of judge, jury, and executioner, that God is not just the judge sitting at the bench, but God is the whole justice system. He's the whole thing. He's the standard. He's the law. He's the decision maker. He's the executioner. He's the defendant or the defender. He's he's all of those things. God does all of those things in his justice system. But unlike human judges, here's the thing we need to understand about God. He always 
gets it right every time. In fact, that's what this word just means, or justice. It means correct. God gets it correctly every single time. So we want to just learn a few things about God in these five verses. Would you look at them with me briefly this morning, and we want to kind of make an extended application, all right? So number one, the Lord is the judge of all people. He's the judge of all people. Verse number eight is where we're starting. The Lord shall judge the people. Final judgment is coming. And we're going to talk about this more in just a few minutes. But here, here David is actually thinking about immediate judgment, okay? So let's just be really honest with Scripture. As David is writing this, he's thinking about Cush the Benjamite, right? Lord, you judge that dude. He needs it, right? So he's thinking about Cush the Benjamite. But the truth about God is that he is the one who judges all of us, right? He judges all people. David's essentially praying this, Lord, you determine who is right here. I feel like I'm right Cush maybe feels like he's right. Would you judge between us? In fact, in verse 2, David basically lays out his case. Judge me. I'm sorry, still in verse, uh, verse number 8. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to mine integrity that is in me. Have you ever felt this way when somebody wronged you? Like, Lord, would you just like show us who's right? Clearly it's me. Not them, but would you just make that clear, make that obvious? Would you judge them? This is what kind of what David is saying. He pleads his own righteousness, which now that we understand Jesus and what he did on the cross, and we know 2 Corinthians 5.21, how that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we could have the righteousness of God in Jesus. Now that we know that, I think all of us would say, I don't want to plead my own righteousness, I want to plead Jesus' righteousness, Right? Like, I don't want to be measured by the law. I want to be measured by the cross. That is the way the Christian should want to be judged and will be judged. Judge me by Jesus' righteousness. I cannot live up to God's standards. I cannot live up to his holiness. He is the judge of all people. Psalm 9, verses 7 and 8 say this, But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment, and he shall judge the world in Righteousness. He's going to judge the entire world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Okay, so number one, the Lord is the judge of all people. Number two, the Lord is the standard of righteousness. So not only is he the judge, he's the law. He's the standard. Verse number nine, oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just for the righteous God tries the hearts. It's the righteous God that is sitting as judge. He is the standard. What did Peter tell us uh, two weeks ago? Be ye holy for what? I am holy, God says. He is the standard. Psalm 50, he shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. God sets the standard. God tells his people what they should do and how they should live. So he's not only the judge, he is the standard. Number three, he's the defense. Look at verse number 10. My defense is of God, David said, which saves the upright in heart. Aren't you glad there's some defense ready for you? Like You can't afford an attorney in God's courtroom Fortunately, one has been provided for you. Just think about it for just a second. Like, 
Remember thinking about the holiness of God and the view that Isaiah had of who God is. Okay, think about his holiness for a second. Think about his purity. Think about the fact that no human can look at him. Remember the story of Moses. Moses said to God, I want to just get a little peek. And God said, I I can't do that, Moses. It'll kill you. So I'm going to cover you with my hand, and then I'm going to walk by, and you can kind of see the, the aftermath, the glow, just the remaining glory. That'll be enough. So Moses says, okay, so God does it. And then he walks down, Moses walks down from the mountain. Remember what the people said of his face? Moses, could you please cover your face? It is so bright, we can't stand to even look at it. That was just the, the afterglory of God. No human can stand in his presence. And so you enter the courtroom and God is the judge. There he is. And you say, okay, what's my defense? You're not going to do like I did. Right? Say, uh, not guilty, your honor, please. No, we would just fall to our knees and beg for life. And yet God, he, he not only is the judge and the standard, but he's the defense. We're hopeless without God intervening without God sending His Son to the cross on our behalf. I think Psalm 98 is really interesting. Here's what Psalm 98 says. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and with the voice of psalm, with trumpets and the sound of cornet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. Listen to what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, let every instrument you can think of, let the strings play, let the piano play, the banjo, the guitars, the voices. Let the lights clap their hands, the fans clap their hands. God is that worthy of your praise. Why? Why is the psalmist in Psalm 98 so excited about God? Here's why. For he comes to judge the earth. With righteousness shall he judge the world. Well, if God is not our defense, that's a scary thought, right? What the psalmist maybe should have said without God defending us in Psalm 98 is, Everybody hide! Run for the hills! Get in a cave! Pray for mercy! But that's not what he says. He says, Worship God because God is your defense. And he's going to come judge the world and it's okay. It's okay when you're one of his own. Number four, the Lord is, and I use this word carefully, but the plaintiff in this case. Because he is the one that is offended by sin. He's the one that's offended. Sin is against God. Look at verse 11. It says that God is angry with the wicked every day. Why is he angry He's grieved by our sin. He's violated. He's rejected. He's betrayed every single time we choose to sin. Remember in Genesis 39 when Joseph was tempted to sin by Potiphar's wife? Remember that story? And Joseph said, how could I do this wickedness and sin against God? It would have certainly been a violation of Potiphar's trust. But he doesn't think about that. He says, I can't sin against God. No way. David in Psalm 51 says this, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. My sin is a violation of God. Every time someone sins, it offends God. Sometimes in our crazy world that we live in, we think about our own offense. Right? 
we see something we're like, that is so annoying. That is so obnoxious. That is so offensive to me. Think about God who is holy, who is pure, observing your sin. He's offended by sin. And fifthly, I don't think this is good English, but it, it was parallel in our outline. The Lord is the sentencer. You know what I mean, right? As the judge, he's the one who gives sentence. This is what he does in verse number 12. He sharpens his sword. He bends his bow. He's prepared his instruments of death. He's ordained his arrows against the wicked. Again, for David, this is an immediate reality. David is imagining God going after Cush. But there's so much spiritual truth here. Judgment day is coming. Right? Psalm 9, verse 16, the Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Hebrews 9.27, as it appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the what? The judgment. Judgment is coming. Just real quickly, I know that you probably know this, but can I just remind you that in Scripture there's two judgments that are coming, two specific judgments that are coming in heaven, in God's presence. One of them is what's called the great white throne judgment. Are you familiar with this one? The great white throne. It's in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, where the Apostle John describes a great white throne. And him that sat on it, from whom's face the earth and heaven fled away. <laughs> heaven and earth, the universe, is afraid of the one who sits on the throne. And then it says, I saw the dead, all of them, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is a really interesting study. If you kind of look at the grammar that is used here about being judged according to works and being judged for works. But can I just summarize this whole thing for you just really quickly? Here's what he says. If you're in the book of life, you go to eternal life. If you're not in the book of life, you go to eternal death, eternal separation from God for all eternity. That is the great white throne judgment. There's the Bema seat judgment, which you've heard of before. This is sometimes called the judgment seat of Christ. It's described all throughout the New Testament in little snippets. One of the clearest descriptions is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul says, If any man builds on the foundation of Jesus Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest or obvious by fire. Fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. This is the Bema seat. It is a judgment. Listen to this really carefully. This is important. It is a judgment of your actions. It is not a judgment for your actions. 
Because the Bema Seat judgment is for Christians. Who has been judged for our actions? Jesus. Jesus took it, right? This is a judgment of your actions. What did you do with the life that I gave you? Jesus will say. What did you do? You will give an account for your life someday. This is one of the things that I think of all the time. In fact, just this week I was praying this for our church. Scripture says, to whom much is given, much is what? That for me is super convicting. Because I feel like I've been given like so much. So many opportunities, so many resources, so much health and life. What am I going to use it for for eternity? Too much is given, much is required. This is the question of the Bema Seat. Hey, I gave you all this stuff. What would you do with it? Were you like the unfaithful servant who buried it in the earth? Or were you like the faithful servant who said, Thank you, I will take that and steward it, and I will invest it for your kingdom, Lord. And when you come back, I'll show you all these things that you and I were able to accomplish with the resources that you gave me. That's the Bema Seat. Are you ready for it? Are you ready? So that just brings us quickly to three conclusions. Three things to think about when you think about God as the just judge. Can I give them to you briefly? Here they are. Number one, prepare for your own judgment by the just judge. Prepare for your own judgment by the just judge. Did you know that God, because he is just, he cannot overlook sin? He can't do it. He wouldn't be just anymore. Deuteronomy chapter 32 says that his ways are perfect. He is just and he is always right. Psalm 111, the work of the Lord's hands are verity and judgment. All of his commands are sure. They stand fast forever. They're always true. They're always upright. Remember the story of Abraham talking with God about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember that? And Abraham asks a rhetorical question of God. It's a little bit bold. But he says, God, shall not the judge of the earth do right? Of course, the answer is yes. God always gets it right every single time. He's always right. Psalm 89, 14, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face all of the time. God is true. God is right. God is exactly on the money every single time. He cannot overlook sin. Every soul that sins must pay for that sin. Do you know when you... When you sin against a holy God, there's no excuse that he accepts because he's just. Did you know that? You know, Scripture clearly teaches this. Somebody might say, well, I was given terrible parents. You know, that's why I sin. It's not my fault. You see the DNA I was given? That's God's fault. That's my parents' fault. That's their decision. And yet, God actually said in Ezekiel chapter 18, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, nor shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. It's that soul that is responsible for its own wickedness. Somebody might say, well, on the other end of the spectrum, like I wasn't given very good DNA, and so I tend to sin. Others might say, look, have you seen how awesome my family is? Surely God's going to give me a pass, right? I got this great pedigree. Well, Deuteronomy 10:17 says this, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. He's a great God and mighty, in case you forgot, and he's terrible. And he does not regard persons. He does not take bribes. 
God says, this is what is right, this is what is wrong, do right. You might say, okay, well, wait a minute, what about somebody who, like, just ne- doesn't know? Like, they were never told what God's standard was. Proverbs twenty four twelve. if you say, behold, we knew it not. Doth not he that ponders the heart consider it? And he that keeps thy soul, doth he not know it? And shall he not render to every man according to his works? God will judge sin. Can you say that with me? God will judge sin. He either will judge it on the cross or he will judge it in hell. You get the choice. Every human gets to make that choice. Like, I want Jesus to take my judgment on the cross or I'll take my own judgment in hell separated from God. A just judge cannot forgive guilt just because of love. He cannot do that. Otherwise, he's no longer just. But God's love does find a way to satisfy his justice. And it finds it in Jesus Christ. Look at this verse. It's an awesome verse. Ezekiel 18, verse 32. God says, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. God says, look, I'm not interested in judging anybody in hell. Nobody. I want you to turn, repent, and live, and choose to follow me. You remember the woman caught in adultery? Remember that story? Jesus is writing in the dust, and her accusers, all of them, leave when Jesus confronts them. And Jesus says to her, he asks the question, he goes, where are your accusers? And she said, they're all gone. And Jesus says something really interesting to her. He says, I'm not going to accuse you either. I'm going to forgive you. Now go and stop sinning. Jesus says, look, I can't overlook your sin. You're clearly a sinner. Everybody is. But I'm just telling you, I forgive you. Just stop sinning. My love finds a way to forgive you, even though we serve a holy and just God. Secondly, trust God as the just judge of your enemies. Trust God as the just judge of your enemies. And when I say enemies, enemies is in quote. Like, hopefully you don't have any, like, arch enemies. Do you? I hope not. Don't raise your hand if you have an arch enemy, okay? Hopefully that's not us. But we have some people that, like, treat us wrong, right? It's funny. Like, this morning, even, Mom and I were driving the car on the way to church, and we, we were parked at a stop sign, stopped with a blinker on, right? And a guy came by, honked at us, and yelling, we looked at each other. Like, I thought she did something, you know. Uh, then I thought maybe it was me. I'm like, I, was that you or was that me? Like, I don't know what that was for. And sometimes just a little small thing like that, we're like, oh, I don't like that guy. That's an enemy. That's what we're talking about. Okay, so somebody that I do not feel kindness and love toward. All right. Trust God as the just judge. You know, Peter actually explains that Jesus is a supreme example of this. He says, this is what you're called to. Here's the kind of life you're called to. Follow Jesus' example. He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But he committed himself to the Father that judges righteously. Jesus said, Father, you got this. I don't have to worry about exacting vengeance. Of course, you know, Jesus explained his expectations for how to treat enemies in Matthew chapter 5. He basically said, give to them, love them, bless them, pray for them. 
Those are the four things he tells us to do in Matthew chapter 5 for our enemies. Let God take care of retribution. But I just want to take you to one final application. I think maybe this is where the rubber hits the road for us. Okay, And that is this. Don't trust yourself to be the just judge. Don't trust yourself. What does Jeremiah tell us? Your heart is what? Deceitful and desperately wicked, and so is mine. I cannot trust myself to be the just judge. Many Christians, I think, imagine that judgmentalism is their gift. They just have a knack for it. And because I have a knack for it, it's spirit-empowered, and I'm supposed to use it. You know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4? It's, it's maybe, other than Jesus, remember when Jesus talked about judging and he said, hey, don't try to pick the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own eye. Remember that? Other than his incredible picture of judging, I think maybe the, the chief passage on this is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It's really awesome. Listen to what Paul says. It's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or any man's judgment. In other words, Paul says, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what anybody thinks of me. I don't even care what I think of me, he says. I don't even judge myself, for I know nothing by myself. Now, this is pretty incredible because Paul, the planter of churches, the greatest missionary ever, the one who writes most of the New Testament, he says, I've got no clue, not even about me. He must have been a pretty happy guy not judging. Then he says in verse 5, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. He will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and make manifest the counsels of the heart. Then shall every man have praise of God. Paul says this, listen, take God's opinion of you more seriously. What does God think? And take your opinion of others less seriously. Forget about it. John 7, 24, judge not according to appearance. Don't judge according to appearance. There's no caveat there. There's no unless or if. He just says don't. Do it. Stop it. You have a log in your eye. You have a log in your eye. I actually was having a conversation about a month ago with somebody, and I, I said, that, that sounds kind of judgy. And here's what they said to me, sort of tongue-in-cheek. They said, well, I don't, I don't call it judgment. I just assess where people are at spiritually by analyzing their actions, and then I provide critique. I said, I think that's the definition of judgmentalism. Like I, I got to look up the definition in the dictionary, but I'm pretty sure you just quoted it. Like that's it. That that is judgmentalism. And by the way, can I just tell you, this steals more joy from more Christians. If you find yourself a grumpy Christian, it might be because you're judgmental. I'm I'm blown away by this. Our imagination is so on fire. It is so keen. We think we know what somebody else is thinking or feeling or how they're motivated or whatever. And we have no clue. And it's taking away your joy. You're miserable because you're judging. You judge others. You you watch their actions and you make judgments on their spirituality. And then, to take it one step further, you mention it to other people. This is exactly what Scripture says condemns it doesn't like say hey you know judging is a bad idea don't do it jesus said don't do it at all do not judge 
Do you know, I think if some Christians put half the energy into Bible memory and prayer as they do into critiquing the motives of others, they could change the world for Jesus. Judgmentalism has no place in a healthy church. You say, well, by their fruits you shall know them. Okay. But your gift is not fruit inspector. It is not. That's not in the list. Okay? I think what, what the, the way to fix judgmentalism is just to confess sin. <laughs> just to stop and say, okay, Lord, you know what? Show me my own sin. Whoa, I'm angry. I'm self-righteous. Wow, I'm proud. I have a biting tongue. I'm critical spirit. I covet. Lord, would you forgive me for those things? Rather than looking for those things and actually projecting them on other people? May we as a church focus our energy on personal obedience rather than critiquing others. Let God be the just judge. He always gets everything right. Every single time. Lord, thank you. Thank you for being the just judge. And thank you for your patience with us, Lord. We just, we're, we acknowledge again, but we don't really, we don't have the right, we we're not qualified to talk about how holy and how just you are. And yet these are characteristics of yours that we must understand so that we respond correctly. Lord, you said that when we humble ourselves under your mighty hand, you will lift us up. And, and I would ask, Lord, that you would humble our church. I know that is a scary request. But, Lord, we need to be humbled under your mighty hand. We need to see our own sin. We're masters at seeing the sins of others, critiquing the way that other people do Christianity and failing to confess our own wretched wickedness. By the power of your Holy Spirit, would you please convict us of our own sin? Help us to see more clearly that log in our eye rather than looking for the speck in someone else's eye. Thank you for Jesus and his example of this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand as we close today. A great response to experiencing the amazing grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is just to say thank you. Let's sing this out. Jesus, thank you.
Thank you for watching this video of one of our recent services. It's a pleasure for us to have you join us from a distance and join our church in a time of worship around the Word of God. The most important message that we can tell you is that God loves you. And he loves you so much that He gave Jesus Christ as payment for your sins. And the Bible says that all that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We want you to know that message that true life is found in Jesus Christ. An eternal life, the opportunity to live with God forever in heaven, in spite of our sinfulness. True life is only found in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to pray something like this? Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know there's nothing I can do about my sinfulness. I don't want to pay for my own sin, and I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want his death on the cross to pay for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my own way and make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you be willing to pray something like that and put your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, we want to help you as you start your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. God loves you. Our church loves you. We're glad that you could watch this message today. God bless.